Hey everyone, this is Brian from the Tennis IQ Podcast. Josh and I hope that you are enjoying the content and discussions that we put out week after week. If you'd like to support the podcast and help us to continue to produce quality episodes, please visit our Patreon page at patreon.com slash podcast slash membership. Currently, we have three tiers of support, the fan level at $3 per month, the supporter level at $7 per month, and the champion level at $20 per month. Benefits of joining the Tennis IQ podcast community include episode transcripts, participation in book club discussions, and access to monthly masterclasses with me and Josh. For more on these benefits of support, head on over to our Patreon page at patreon.com slash podcast slash membership. Thank you so much. And now, on to the show. Welcome to the Tennis IQ Podcast. I'm Brian Lomax. And I'm Josh Berger. And in today's uh, episode, we are going to discuss grit and how grit can apply to tennis players. How, you know, I think we'll start by sort of defining the term, talking about, you know, a little bit about where it came from, um, why it's important, that sort of thing. Then we could talk about, you know, how we can start to build it, uh, maybe some objections with this concept. Um, and then, you know, maybe towards the end, um, thinking about some bigger picture things, thinking about how you can apply this, thinking about, you know, maybe a challenge that that we have uh, for you as well. Um, so I think we, to, to get to get things started, um, I think it is important to, you know, define our terms and talk about where this, this uh, concept comes from. So um, Angela Duckworth has really been the, the person who has, um, I guess popularized popularized this this concept. Um, you know her her book Grit has been been read. You know within sport within many different contexts and within it she talks about how um, you know she's she started to find that different within different um, contexts whether that be um, military you know, people in the military or people in, um, you know, the military academies like West Point, for instance, um, whether it be spelling bee champions, whether it be um, high performers in different domains, that there wasn't a accurate measure, there wasn't an accurate measure or test that would predict success in these areas, Um, which is why this, which is why she, she developed this concept of grit. Which is really, um, which really is a combination of passion and perseverance um, towards our long-term goals. Um, and she, you know, talks about in the book how this can apply to a number of different contexts, whether it be athletes, whether it be you know performers in all different domains. Um, and yeah, I think as as a starting point, that's that's kind of where this this concept comes from. And I think. When we think of passion and perseverance, I think there are some sub qualities even that she talks about there, Josh, you know, being resilient, um, work ethic and hard work is an extremely important piece of it. Um, Levels of determination for what you want. And I think um, when we talk about passion, maybe this isn't included enough in what she's saying, but really having some purpose toward why you're doing it. You know, so I think passion is a part of that purpose. I think ought to be, ought to be there. 
Um, but everybody that she was looking at, they had some sort of direction or vision of what they were doing, you know. And so passion, purpose, direction, I think all, the, all of that's really, really important. Um, and certainly the effort and work ethic part, what I already mentioned, the work ethic is, is, is obviously an important, important piece of this. Um, you know, when we think about this topic, I think we should just be careful in terms of how we're presenting it. I think the way we want to present it today is more looking at some of the individual parts of this construct of grit. Um, because there have been some objections to it, and I think some of our are legit, in that, for example, um, very often this concept of grit looks like it puts all the responsibility on the individual to just be grittier. <clears throat> and it doesn't necessarily take into account one's background, whether that be genetics, upbringing, uh, motivational climate, etc. It can't be like, oh, you know, you have a really tough coach, so just suck it up. It's all on you. Um, you know, right? You're in uh, an environment. And so that is often not accounted for. So anything that we say here today is really more, I think, looking at the different individual pieces of grit as a, as a construct and how we might be better at some of that um, to help us to pursue goals that are important to us or maybe even be purposeful to us. Um, and I think when we give our goals real purpose, then, then we're giving them more power. Uh, for example, lots of people, this is not tennis related, but lots of people will talk about, well, my goal is to lose weight in the next year. Not really a great goal because you're talking about losing something and um, it. what's the purpose of that? What's the purpose of losing weight? Now, you might think that's obvious, but maybe it's not. Maybe the purpose should be I am trying to make sure I uh, have a healthy lifestyle, I feel good, and I'm able to live in a healthy way for a longer period of time. That to me is a much better kind of purpose to why we would be doing something. You know, the, the idea of losing weight, well, what happens when you do lose weight? Okay, this is why most people revert back to it. So it's important to think about purpose and that might actually help a little bit on these little elements of grit and becoming grittier. Totally, totally. I think understanding that purpose, understanding that why um, is, is key is, is key here. And I, I know we, um, yeah, and I, I know that's a topic that's, that's come up before, but, um, yeah, I, I think, you know, it, this is why it's important for people to, um, and I think particularly young tennis players to, you know, develop some autonomy, to develop autonomy, to have there, to be at least to some extent in control of, you know, okay, is this, if this is my, if this is something that I'm, really pursuing can i be in control in some way of of some of those choices right i do do i feel that i'm in control of whether i play tennis or not or i do other activities or not you know and can i really come up with you know why this is important to me why this is an important aspect of my identity because i think if we're going to work really hard at something if we're going to try to you know persevere through the ups and downs and injuries and slumps and whatever else may come up. Um, it's a lot easier to do that if we've 
you know, if we have that purpose, if we have that purpose, if we've spent the time and done the work ahead of time to, you know, clearly define why this is important to us and why, and you know, where, where we want to head within, within our sport. For sure. You know, and I think we were talking earlier, a lot of us who, you know, who play tennis, maybe of a, of a certain age are looking more at tennis as a life project in some way. And that life project can, I think, serve different purposes. It could be if you're younger, maybe a goal of playing college tennis or playing professional, right? Those may be more milestones toward becoming the best player you can be. Um, but also playing tennis, say, you know, in your 50s and 60s might be more towards maintaining an active lifestyle, maintaining overall health. You could still have goals, of course. You know, there are lots of people who are playing national or international age group tennis in which it's um, to them training in that regard is important. So I think it's all comes down to the individual about what that purpose looks like. And it, it doesn't have to be justified to other people, quite honestly. It just has to make sense to you. Um, and as long as it makes sense to you, then you can go with it. Then, then you can generate more of the, the, the passion and, and that uh, intensity that you want to approach that with. We also maybe, you know, many listeners may see tennis as a, you know, a part of their life. It's not the main focus. People may have jobs or maybe parents and, and so forth. And tennis's purpose is, is maybe on the side for something. Maybe this is something that helps me reduce stress. Um, maybe it's something that I get to go do with my friends. You know, it's more and more, if we look at, you know, the motivational factors, maybe it's more on the relatedness side than it is on the mastery side. Great. Nothing wrong with that. Um, and so, you know, people who are listening to this podcast probably already have a level of grit, Josh, with respect to at least playing tennis. It's a long-term sport, lifetime passion. Everybody seems to still be playing, right? So we haven't quit at that level. And I think a lot of what we're going to talk about today is more, all right, that's good. We've already sort of hit the basics of we're playing and, and, and we want to keep playing. Can we get maybe just a little bit more out of this, whether that be toward mastery, whether that be toward owning it more? Um, more on the relatedness side or whatever it is that you want to get out of it, could we take it to maybe just one level deeper where we're getting just a little bit more out of it? And it doesn't have to include, I would say, lots more time either. I think that 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 totally makes sense. Yeah, spending, I think, yeah, putting in sort of the, the groundwork and and understanding, you know, why we why we're playing in the first place, um, helps you know helps us to to withstand whatever sorts of situations that will that will come up, right? If we're we're viewing tennis as our life project, you know that that's never just positive for anybody. Everyone has you know different types of situations that will come up in their tennis career and their tennis journey. We can say. Um, so I think, yes, you know, putting in the work, having, you know, that, that, that clear, 
that that more clearly defined why I think is is really important. And, and I agree with with what you're saying, Brian. That if you know people that are listening to this podcast are probably not you know maybe there are some, but probably not new to the sport or brand new to the sport. It's probably something that you know people have been playing for a while and you know are are passionate about. So I think it's about you know can we clearly define you know why why is this something that I'm I'm passionate about why do I love this why am I playing um can we start to to think through some of these questions and I think probably many people have um but you know being able to yeah I think clearly define some of those answers I think makes it a little bit easier so that we can you know use something like grid or you you know use this concept to to, to, to help us further our game. Right. And, and I think there's, there's questions to be had, whether, you know, whether it, it always, you know, whether we always want to be persevering and always want to be um, overcoming and that sort of thing. Um, and I think we do, if we're, if it's the right journey, right. If, if we've decided that tennis is, you know, really what we want to pursue, if, if it's something that, you know, we really feel strongly about and, and, you know, and we love it's, that's something that we want to, you know, we want to keep going with. Right. So it's, it's not a matter of, okay, I want to just keep doing this and keep doing this and keep doing this without necessarily thinking through the why piece. It's more like, you know, once I have that solid foundation of, of, you know, this is why I'm doing this. This is why I'm putting in the work. This is why this is important to me. Then I can, you know, that then some of those other pieces start to fall into place. For sure. You know, and as we're having this discussion, it's reminding me of some clients I've had over the last couple of years, you know, 40 and over, who obviously have been playing tennis for a very long time. Some of them played, actually all of them played tennis in college. And yet they were searching for something, something maybe new to add to their game. Um, One of them simply wanted to enjoy her doubles more. Uh, and, you know, playing in a competitive league. Um, and so that was one aspect of we, that we worked on. Another one was a really good, great practice player, um, tended to struggle in singles competition. And so she started to really identify with this idea of, I want to compete. I want to get better at this. I want to I wanna try to really improve my ability to play singles. Another woman really only had uh, singles experience. So she was looking to become a much better doubles player. And, you know, all of them took it on with, I want to say this four-part formula, which is in the book, Grit, um, which is certainly a worthwhile book to read. But this four-part formula was interest plus practice plus purpose plus hope. Hope, I might rephrase a little bit because that, that can be looked at different ways, but maybe optimism. Um, and so, yeah, there has to be like some interest in what you're doing. The practice piece is really important. When we talk about practice, we want to talk about it as deliberate practice. This isn't just like going to a clinic and, you know, going through the motions of whatever the coach has you do. This is you going to lessons in clinics with specific goals in mind that you want to work on that are contributing to your overall purpose and what you want to do. So we, and all three of the people I mentioned, they all had a a particular purpose that was important to them. And if if we look at theories of motivation, like self-determination theory, all of them were kind of geared more toward the mastery piece and, and 
trying to get better at a particular aspect of their game of tennis. And they were all optimistic that they could do it. They all thought there was hope. You know, when, when we talk about hope from a psychological construct perspective, it's not sort of like, well, I hope that happens or whatever. Hope is more like a better way to think of it, I think, Josh, is what's the difference between being hopeful and hopeless? And when we look at it that way, we, of course, want to be hopeful, hopeful for a better future, hopeful for good outcomes. So I, I tend to tie it more towards optimism, you know, believing that good things can happen, etc. So I think those four points are a nice construct when thinking about your own tennis game and, and what you want to pursue here. You know, is this something that is interesting to you, this part of tennis? Is it something that you can really commit to a deliberate practice around, really setting goals daily, weekly, monitoring that stuff instead of just sort of getting through practice? Does it feel like it has an overall purpose to whether it's uh, mastering something, relatedness, et cetera? And, and do, you, do you believe you can do it? Do you believe that there's, there's hope that I can actually achieve whatever it is, or at least make progress toward that piece. So I'm curious, you know, some of your thoughts on that, that four-part formula. I think, it, I think it's helpful. I think it's, I think it's, it's definitely helpful. Um, yeah. I think sometimes it's a question of almost like what order those four yeah. aspects. Yeah. Are. Yeah. <laughs> uh, and I, th- I think for some people it might be, it might be different, right? I think oftentimes that, that interest piece, comes first right people are people start playing the sport because they enjoy it they're interested in it it, it's fun um but then yeah some of those other pieces you know that that purpose piece may for some people come last or you know some people maybe haven't found it right um i think that that practice piece is a critical you know obviously critical piece and i think um you know they, they talk in the book about deliberate practice right so not just practice in general but yeah let's have let's have a clear as you were saying let's have a clear goal for today right and and we've we've talked about this as well you know trying to have whether you whether it's a match whether it's practice trying to have um you know specific goals for that day specific process goals in terms of you know what you want so sort of like what is that process that you want to go about maybe it's i want to spend extra time between points or maybe it's that i want to really focus on my serve return today or my, or my volleys or whatever it may be. Um, or I want to practice, you know, myself talk and talking to myself in a positive way uh, in a, in a effective, helpful way out there. Um, but no, I, I, I like that sort of four step framework because I think it, it provides people with a little bit of a, a roadmap. Um, and yeah, with that last piece, hope, um, yeah, I think we could think about it as optimism or even, you know, maybe it's even that self-belief piece, right? Sort of believing that, you know, not just, okay, I, I hope I can do this, but more so, you know, I, I have that self-belief that I can improve at this, right? That if if we don't believe that that's possible, if we don't have sort of a growth mindset about about our progress with with what whatever we're doing or with our progress with tennis um it's it's very hard to you know continue to take st- positive steps in in the direction that we're heading in so i think you know i think it it really is you know do we believe that progress is is possible and, and that we can make progress in this area 
And then we have ways to do it. You know, so yep. hope as a psychological construct is really those two things, right? The belief you can do it and also that you have pathways to getting there. Like you have agency, you have the ability to do it uh, as opposed to other ways of looking at hope. Right? It almost seems like we need two words to describe that concept a little bit. Um, I wanted to also share, maybe this is for some of the younger players or those who are aspiring to really high levels of the game. So while I was doing some research for today's topic, I came across an article in Inc. Magazine uh, by Jessica Stillman, and it was talking about uh, a mindset shift with, with grit and how uh, going from deciding to doing something to how to do something was an important transition. And there was a really, I thought, very interesting quote um, from a guy named Paul Levesque. He's a former professional wrestler and executive with WWE. And he said this on the, the Tim Ferriss show, Tim Ferriss's podcast. Um, and it's a story about Evander Holyfield, the boxer, um, former champion. And the, the quote is, his coach at one point told him, him being uh, Holyfield, something like this on his very first day. You could be the next Muhammad Ali. Do you want to do that? So Evander said he had to ask his mom, which I thought that was pretty cute. Uh, so he went home. He came back and said, I want to do that. The coach said, okay, is that a dream or a goal? Because there's a difference. And I think it was making the point of that transition of something being concrete we're not being concrete, being kind of fuzzy and whether I should really do it or what it means to do that to, yes, I'm doing this now. Here's how I'm going to do it. Here's the plan to, to do that. And I think throughout our lives, we've all probably had certain dreams that never quite materialized into goals. And then there are other people who have really done that quite well. I mean, you could look like, say, a Michael Phelps, even as a young swimmer. His, his goal, his, you know, his dream of being an Olympic gold medalist clearly became a goal that got worked on day in and day out. But we probably also know people who have said, yeah, I want to be a professional tennis player. I want to be a professional baseball player. And it never really went to a concrete place, right? It stayed a dream. So I think that's an important concept for people as they look at applying different aspects of grid is this is this something you really want to do is this you know can we take it kind of from dream stage to goal stage and and start to look at more the how the pathways etc totally totally yeah can we can we take okay can we and, and i i think that that quote that quote is is definitely you know impactful um, can we think about, you know, maybe start with that dream. Okay. This is what I'd love to achieve. And I, I think of that sort of as a, you know, this is my outcome goal. This is the outcome or the result that I want, right? I want to be a professional tennis player or I want to, you know, I, I want to, whatever it is, I want to lose weight. I want to make you know money or whatever it is. Okay. This, this is what I want, but I, I think it becomes a goal once we start to sort of put in put that framework into place. Once we start to think about sort of the steps that we need to get there. And I think we can think, you know, 
I, I know we've talked about process goals and I think that really is, you know, is critical to breaking down a goal, right? So we can take a, a big goal, you know, a result, an outcome that we want, whether this is more long-term, like, you know, I want to be a professional tennis player, let's say. And then can we put in those, those different steps? Can we think about on a daily, weekly, monthly basis, what do I need to be doing to get there? Can I start to come up with a, a game plan for how to make that possible? You know, so I think having a plan, having different process goals. And the nice thing about process goals is they're within within our control. So we can start to think about, you know, what am I going to do this week? Right. So maybe it's I want to I want to visualize different situations that might come up in my upcoming tournament. I want to visualize, you know, different um, patterns of play that I want to be using. Um, I want to really plan out how I want to be talking to myself in different situations. You know, I want to be focusing on my strength and conditioning. Um, okay. So that that's what I want to be doing this week. And then can I come up with a game plan for when I'm going to be doing those things, right? It's, it's great if I can recognize that these things are important, but okay. When am I going to be visualizing? Maybe it's before bed. Maybe it's, you know, in my, in that hour or so before a match, um, okay, when am I going to be doing that strength and conditioning piece? Can I sort of lay out, um, can I lay this out and really come up with that structure? And I think it, it gets easier too. If I can do that for one week, you know, then maybe the next week I make some adjustments, but maybe I can, maybe I can keep that overall structure. So I think, you know, with whatever sort of dream we have or whatever we want to achieve, if we don't put in some of those more concrete steps into place, then it stays a dream. It, it's a lot less likely to actually become reality or become a possibility if we if we don't you know really lay out the the groundwork and the framework to to actually make it happen i think the visualization is a good good thing to practice but it's also good to practice about the dream like visualizing it as real right if i want to be a professional tennis player visualize myself being that professional tennis player um, and that doesn't only mean appearing at the US Open or Wimbledon or one of the four majors. It's there's more to it than that. Um it makes me think of uh the writer Stephen Pressfield. So he's written a couple of books on on kind of this topic. One is called The War of Art, another one's called Turning Pro. And it gets to what you were saying, Josh, is that, you know, what what does a professional do? And it, this doesn't mean uh, professional meaning taking money, but somebody who has a professional attitude, they do the work. Uh, and a lot of writers aspire to this. And they're, it's like, you know, I, yeah, I can only write when I'm motivated, but uh, luckily for me, motivation arrives at 9 a.m. every day. That's about doing the work and, yep. and, and not falling to the wayside with resistance and, and other things. And, and building so, strong habits to, exactly. to, to help with that. Yeah. Right, right. Discipline around some of these things. So I think those books are helpful. Um, another book that I really like on this topic is uh, Extreme Ownership by the two Navy SEALs, Jocko Willink and Leif Babin. And they talk a lot about how discipline actually gives you more freedom in your life because you're better with your time. You, you know what you're doing. And it allows you to achieve things that you would never have achieved without discipline. And so, you know, understanding what it means to go pro up here in your mind to overcome maybe the barriers or resistance that could come up and to try to be disciplined. 
So all of these things really, I think, are very helpful when we're thinking about goals and thinking about you know, having grit and passion and per- perseverance toward these things. These are all really good ingredients to us as tennis players furthering our project, um, you know, how, whatever that may be. And maybe we'll talk about a potential challenge that we throw out to people here to, to see what they could figure out. Um, but these are all helpful ingredients in, in getting you to pursue a part of your game or just the game itself in a different way that will hopefully fulfill you some more, give you some more meaning around the sport. Definitely. Definitely. No, I think, I think these are, these are important things for people to be, to be thinking about. And I think, you know, we, we may, there might be certain people listening who are maybe asking themselves, you know, why, you know, why am I playing? All right. This is maybe something I've fallen into. Okay. Maybe I'm, you know, playing whatever, a few times a week, um and i enjoy it but it's like okay but why you know you know can i do dig a little bit deeper here and 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 really try to understand you know why is this important for me and and you know maybe it has something to do with um your introduction to the sport or um you know maybe it has something to do with trying to fulfill your potential you know can you um yeah try try to be a little bit maybe more clear about that um, I, I think it's interesting also looking at, at um, you know, going back to Angela Duckworth a little bit, um, look, looking back at her grit scale. And I think, and Brian, I know you mentioned this earlier when we were talking that I think she has maybe said after the fact that maybe it's not as, you know, may, maybe there's ways it, it could be improved. Maybe there's ways that it could um, more accurately gauge both the passion and perseverance side, where I think maybe the grit scale tends to focus a little bit more on the per- perseverance side, but um, really it's a simple quiz. It's an online quiz, you know, just 10 questions. And we can link to this in the show notes um, where, and I can even read these questions. I mean, it, yeah, it's not, not too, not too long here. So the first one is, you know, new ideas and projects sometimes distract me from previous ones. And then the, the five options are, that's very much like me, mostly like me, somewhat like me, not much like me at all, or not like me at all. Um, then there's setbacks don't discourage me. I give up. I don't give up easily. I often set a goal, but later choose to pursue a different one. I'm a hard worker. I have difficulty maintaining my focus on projects that take more than a few months to complete. I finish whatever I begin. My interests change from year to year. I am, am, I am diligent. I never give up. I have been obsessed with a certain idea or project for a short time, but later lost interest. And I have overcome setbacks to conquer an important challenge. So as you can see, some of the questions are sort of phrased on one side that, you know, more of a positive phrasing or more of a negative phrasing where that, you know, very much like me for two different questions might mean opposite things in terms of sort of the grading of the scale. Um, But I think it's, it's, interesting just taking a look at it and you know it, i would encourage people to to try it doesn't it's not going to take more than a couple minutes to to go through it and you know put in the answers and see what your what your score is but i think it it's a nice way to you know sort of maybe think through some of these things okay you know in different situations do i do i feel like i lose passion for for one project or one thing that i'm working on towards another one, you know, do, do I feel like that 
passion is sort of like consistent or do I feel like it, you know, maybe wavers from one thing to another? I mean, I, I can even think with myself, I, I feel like at, at times, you know, there's maybe certain things that I've been more consistent with and then others where maybe I have an idea and I pursue it for a period of time and then I, another one. And um, no, I, I think it's just interesting going through this process of, um, you know, sort of seeing, you know, first of all, the j- just going through the test itself and then seeing what what your results are. And I think I think it, it can be, you know, d- definitely a worthwhile um, few minutes of your time to uh, to to j- j- just sort of see where you match up on this on this scale. For sure. And I think you have to go at it with the right spirit too, Josh, right? Because we, as we're saying, um, you know, there are some certain problems with what is presented here. So you could easily read one of these questions and say, and start to argue with it. I think that's not the right approach. The idea is to do what you just mentioned is to be introspective about this and, and not worry about necessarily what you're scoring or what your grit score is, but more read it you know, something like setbacks don't discourage me for long. I don't give up easily. Okay. You know, based on who you are, how does that sound to you? Um, we're not going to ask you whether you're that great at that or not. Maybe think back to some times where it's happened, hasn't happened. Maybe you figure out something that really works for you that allows you to not be discouraged. Maybe other times when you were discouraged, something else was in play. I think it's, I think these questions really allow you to be more self-reflective of what you've experienced in your own life and and help you to get to a place that you'd want to be on this particular uh, item on, on the survey. Um, so I wouldn't necessarily recommend that people put a lot of stock into whatever their number is, but would go through it in the way you suggested, which is to look at it in a very honest and open way, have that conversation with yourself, and, and then you can come away with it. Because I think, as we said from the beginning, we're more interested today in kind of understanding those underlying features of something like grit, because I think that's where the action can take place. That's more the actionable part of this construct. So, um, but like you said, yeah, we'll put it in the show notes and uh, it's, it's very interesting to see what was here. Now, I don't know if I mentioned this earlier, but what isn't here, and I think we've talked about this a lot, Josh, is... With grit, there's nothing in there with respect to ethical behavior. And that's obviously a very important part of tennis. And I would also say it's a very important part of developing your character and being a mentally strong and a mentally tough competitor is how you do these things from an ethical perspective matters. So to me, that's a big gap in, in, in the whole grit piece and how that's not necessarily played up there. But I think people who are more ethical actually are creating, you know, they're, they're willing to go through hard times more so than somebody who is un- unethical, right? Those are shortcuts to, you know, success, whatever it is your goal. Um, being ethical, you're, you're earning it for real. So I want to be sure that we put that out there. I know we talk a lot about that, but that isn't part of what's here, or at least it hasn't been added as of yet. Totally, totally, and I, I think yeah, if people are, if people don't have that that solid ethical foundation, then they're then they're yeah, they're willing to take shortcuts. They're willing to, you know, maybe in a tennis context, make bad line calls to to try to get ahead or use gamesmanship or, you know, things like that. Rather than, yeah, r- rather than 
um, trying to go about our goals rather than, you know, trying to, to, you know, play our sport or do whatever that we do in, in an upstanding way, right. In a, in a morally sound way. So I, I think I agree that that's not really in, included in here. And, and I think, yeah, I think there, there's also the, the argument to be made that it's, you know, it is just, you know, mainly result focused, right. It, it's mainly result focused, with with this whole idea of grit, and I think sometimes when things are too result focused, without maybe focusing on on how, and, and maybe the idea of grit is that you know, sort of, almost leaving the the how or leaving that process up to the individual, but I think sometimes, you know, people will will um, try to achieve their goal by any any means necessary, and that might include certain unethical behavior. And in, in in order to get there, right? So if if the goal is, um, you know, to to win a tennis match, and that's that's the only goal, and I'm trying to just persevere to 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 get the job done, that might include okay, I'm going to try my hardest, but I'm also going to you know maybe tr- look to cut corners a little bit. And okay, if the ball lands on the line, maybe I call it out, or even if the ball lands a little bit inside the line, or maybe it's a really big point, then it, maybe I you know that's when I am going to look to you know, cut corners or to try to gain an advantage that way. So I agree that that is maybe a shortcoming that that wasn't included in this because I, I don't think it um, prioritizes that ethical piece in the way that it that it should be. Yeah. So you could easily say that somebody like Lance Armstrong demonstrates massive grit. But right, based on what we know now, um, he also took a shortcut to a lot of the result-oriented success that we see. And so I don't think we're going to hold him up as a paragon of what somebody should do. Um, you know, that's a lot of reasons for doping in, in cycling, and it's a culture of that and, and so forth, right? But that's, that's not what we're looking to do. And so when you put maybe the results a little bit too in front of you, it might lead you to some of that piece. And so I think the ethics, the ethics is, is important. All right. Do you have something to say about Lance or? Well, I was just, and, and again, we don't have to make it too much about him, but it's, I, I think, you know, with him also, it's interesting that it wasn't just that initial decision to, to dope, which he did. And I think many in cycling were doing at that time. It seemed like that was, unfortunately became really the culture. And I think we've seen this in, in other sports, whether this, whether it's baseball, whether it's a number of different sports, but for him, it was the doping. And then it was also sort of like covering it up. Yeah. The avoidance of that whole thing. Yeah. Yeah. Doubling down on this, you know, um, trying to destroy other people's reputations, sort of in pursuit of this lie that he hadn't been doping. Um, And I think, you know, when it comes to that ethical piece, if we don't have that, ethical foundation if that's not prioritized then we you know we we end up trying to sort of cover our own tracks or you know one lie turns into many and it you know it 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 ends up just making the situation far worse right yeah totally agree so what do you think josh about throwing out a challenge to the listeners maybe a sort of a, a grit challenge something to pursue and I guess I'll describe what I think we could do, Josh, and maybe in the context of my own tennis game. So um, for those who've seen me play, you would know that one of the features of my game is a, is a one-handed slice backhand. 
And over the years, it's become, you know, good enough that I have not needed to hit, <clears throat> excuse me, a drive backhand very often. And it's almost to the point where I've avoided even working on that particular shot. And the slice is so ingrained in my footwork, it's so ingrained in my take back, that it's almost hard to hit the other one. And But I think my game would be better if I had one. And there have been times where, you know, Josh, I'll, I'll work on it for like a week and then eh, I don't feel like doing it anymore. Um, and perhaps it's just haven't really connected it with enough purpose or maybe I'm getting discouraged that it isn't as good as I'd like it to be. And so I therefore go back to what's comfortable. So I think if I were to do like a grit challenge here, I would for the next, say, three months, three to four months, commit to working on the one-handed drive backhand with the purpose of you know helping me to become a better competitor this is something i can be more offensive with right so um and i'm very interested in this topic um i think though you know the one-handed drive backhand is a is a really versatile shot um i love watching federer's backhand obviously not playing anymore but you know uh Grigor Dimitrov, wonderful one-handed backhand. Stan Wawrinka, same thing. Like, I visualize those. I'd love to have those or something, you know, even a quarter that good. So that's something I want to work on. I want to I look at practicing it deliberately for the next several months um, and be able to persevere through the, the, the difficult days, knowing that there are going to be some days where it just doesn't feel good. And then there are probably going to be some days where it feels feels great. And, uh, and I think if I can do this for the next three or four months, you know, the shot will be, you know, I'll be able to integrate it more into into my play. So that would be like how I would structure a challenge and, and throw it out to people who are listening, something about their game that they would like to take to the next level. I'm having to choose something I'm not using very often, but you could even look at a strength and say, all right, my forehand's my strength, but I, I think I really want to, I could go bigger on that. I could use, I could actually run around my backhand more and hit more forehands. So I want to maybe feature more forehands in my game, you know, and maybe that's going to involve footwork and, and a bunch of other things. So I think pick something, dedicate yourself to working on it for a period of time. Don't quit on it in that period of time, as long as it's purposeful to you and come at it with a how, the, pra the deliberate practice piece. And, you know, is that lessons, clinics, hitting against a wall, whatever that is. Um, is there a challenge that you'd like to approach, Josh? I was just thinking about that. I think maybe footwork. I think footwork is has been maybe a, a challenge for me in certain ways. I mean, I think, you know, as I think about my own game, I think I I tend to move pretty well side to side. And I think I can play pretty good defense. I think that's always sort of been a a strength of mine, but I think just my footwork in general, I think can get a little bit on the lazy side. I think I, I don't necessarily take all the small steps that I need to, you know, adjustment steps and, um, you know, more defensive steps and stepping into the court when I need to. Um, so I think something like footwork is one of those areas of the game that can really pay, pay dividends in, in different, on different, 
aspects of the game, you know, can, can help offensively, defensively can help with, with, you know, can help you just sort of be ready and set up for each shot, you know, with your volleys certainly um, as well. And transition game, I think is, you know, footwork can have a lot to do with that. So I think footwork would be an, an area and, you know, that, that I would want to sort of focus on or maybe challenge myself on. And then it's about, you know, can I, can I do some of these other steps? Can I lay out some specific goals or really process goals in terms of what that's going to look like? Right. Does that mean I want to do some jump, some, some jump rope before I play each time to sort of, you know, get myself on my toes more. Does this mean some specific drills? Maybe it's ladder drills or going around cones or things like that. Um, does this mean maybe certain reminders when I'm on the court in terms of being on my toes, in terms of maybe incorporating some of these specific footwork patterns, things like that. Um, so I think for me, it would be something like that. And also sort of the, I think with footwork, there's, there, there really is the effort piece that's, that's sort of baked into that too, where if I'm, you know, if I'm not willing to fully engage with my footwork on that particular day, then I can, you know, it doesn't necessarily matter if I have more technical footwork or better footwork, if I'm not, you know, fully engaged in giving my best effort on that particular day, it's kind of irrelevant because I'm not going to be moving my feet well. So I think that would be a, a piece that I would focus on. And I think, yeah, it's, it's about sort of that, that passion and perseverance, that combination of the two, right? Why am I passionate about this because footwork is something that can help help me become the best player that I can be. And, you know, am I able to persevere through sort of that, you know, as you said, that three, four month period where it's tougher in terms of really developing that skill, developing that habit a little bit more um, and dealing with those ups and downs, dealing with those ups and downs, the frustrations, the, the days where things aren't going so well, but be able to persevere and stick with it during some of those more challenging times. And even though we both chose something physical, there are, of course, psychological components to what we're going to do, right? Because there are going to be challenges. We're going to have to manage our self-talk and our emotions and probably breathe, right, to get ourselves relaxed. And so there's a, there, even though we've chosen things that sound more physical, there are a lot of psychological pieces to that. With that being said, um, you know, listeners could also choose something psychological, you know, more on the mental side, right? So perhaps it's about improving one's self-talk and using specific self-talk scripts or mantras while playing during practice. Perhaps it's about a better commitment to a routine between points. So there are a lot of different things one could could choose, whether it's physical, mental, certainly a, they'll all be combined in some fashion. Uh, so you don't have to restrict yourself to something that's purely physical, like we've suggested, um, even though there are obviously psychological components to that. So it'd be great to hear from people what you've chosen. And we can check in, in, in maybe end of the winter in the, in the U.S., so maybe around the end of March, or some would say the end of May, <laughs> so uh, <laughs> at least in this area of the U.S., um, and see how people people are doing with, with with what they've come up with. Absolutely, and and we I, we love to you know we we love to hear from 
from all of you. You know, if people want to, you know, send us an email, tennisiqpodcast at gmail.com. You know, we've been, and there's many, you know, many listeners that have taken us up on that or have reached out with questions, with, with feedback, with episode ideas. So, you know, I, I know Brian says it at the end of, of each episode um, in the sort of closing uh, closing remarks, but yeah, feel free to, to reach out. We, we are always happy to, to interact with, with different people that are listening. That's great. Well, that's our show for today. Thank you all for listening. Uh, for more on today's episode, please check out the show notes. And as Josh just mentioned, if you have any feedback or questions, please email us at tennisiqpodcast at gmail.com. Also, if you're enjoying the content that Josh and I discuss on the show, please rate and review the podcast so other tennis enthusiasts can find it more easily. Additionally, to be notified of new episodes, please subscribe to the show on your podcast platform of choice, including YouTube. You can also check us out on Instagram. If you would like to support the podcast, please visit our Patreon page at patreon.com slash podcast slash membership, where you can learn about the benefits of being part of the Tennis IQ podcast community. Thanks again, and we'll talk to you soon in our next episode.